going to be the end. I'm so glad that my Jesus showed up in a place that he knew was going to be the end of his days here on earth um, on my behalf. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Man, what would church be without kids, man? I'm going to tell you what. It'd be a dying church, wouldn't it? It'd be a dying bunch of people. Holy cow. I love it. <laughs> well, we're here today, Palm Sunday, and, we, you know, we know the story. Jesus rode in on a horse. Okay, that's your turn to correct me. On a horse, on a colt, on a donkey. Rode in on a donkey into Jerusalem with his disciples. And as he rode in, nobody was there. There was a mighty throng there, a lot of people. And they were waving palm branches and shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now we also know this, so I'm not going to go into preaching this, a lot of them were standing there declaring that because they thought Jesus had come to vanquish their enemies. So I'm not going to take time to preach that today because that was not the case. Jesus did not show up to take the Romans out. Amen? Now, there were a lot of people who were following Jesus, wanting Him to do what? Take the Romans out. No, that's not why I came. Jesus had a completely different idea. What did the disciples want to happen? What did the, his followers, the disciples, well, let, let's just look at a couple quick examples here. Matthew 16, you know, Jesus says, I must, he's sharing with the disciples. Everybody say disciples. Must share with the disciples, must share with you. I'm going to have to go back to Jerusalem, and I'm going to suffer. And I'm going to struggle, and I'm going to have a hard time. And what did Peter do when he heard that? He said, no, Jesus, you're not going. I'm not going to let anything happen to you. And what did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? He turned around and said, get thee behind me, Satan. Okay. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus again is saying, I must go to Jerusalem, because when I get to Jerusalem, I'm going to have to suffer a whole lot, and I am going to die. He says, so we need to get ready. So the disciples are all shook up. We need to get ready. And so they're coming up to a Samaritan village, and he, and he sends word ahead uh, for them to, we, we need some supplies, we need some things to prepare for our trip to get to Jerusalem. And the Samaritans, of course, there was this rift between the Samaritans and the Jews, so uh, they refused. They rejected Jesus. We don't know if they, re he, they rejected him because he was a Jew or they rejected him because of who he said he was. That really doesn't matter. They rejected him. And James and John, two more disciples, said, Hey, Jesus, they rejected us. They rejected you. Should we call down fire from heaven and burn them to the ground? Jesus, it says, rebuked them. Guys, what are you thinking? In Matthew 26, we have this happening. Let me read it from verse 50. Jesus replied, do what you came for, friend. 
Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, struck the servant on the high priest, and cut off his ear. Jesus yells, put your sword back in its place, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I can't call my father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Hello. If he had come to take out the Romans, done. If he had come to vanquish and establish a new earthly, an earthly kingdom, done. And see, there were people that were believing that. Jesus is coming to make us feel better. Jesus is coming to make us more comfortable where we are. We want our stuff back, Jesus, and here you come. Hello? The Jesus goes on to say, But how then would the Scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? In that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come out here with swords and clubs to capture me? Folks, I'm telling you what right now. Jesus had no intention of coming and setting up something that everybody else wanted. He had a whole different plan. In fact, the sheer symbols of what happened in, on, on Palm Sunday, as we call it, Jesus riding in on a colt. Does anybody know why kings of the day would ride in on donkeys? Well, if they rode in on a horse, it was, it was basically a declaration of war. If they rode in on a donkey, it was a declaration of peace and victory. Do you know what the palm branches Michael has over here? Can you stand up, Michael, and just wave it? There it is. Michael doesn't have to stand up. He's so tall, he just sits and it just... Do you know what the palm branches typically symbolized? Peace. Victory. Peace and victory. So that already tells you something was different going on there. But obviously, there's this epic battle going on, guys. Does anybody know there was a big old battle going on? Where was this battle taking place, here or in the spiritual world? In the spiritual world, it was an epic battle. And I do use the past tense. It was an epic battle. Why? Because victory has already been won. So it was an epic battle, huge battle going on. So how did Jesus battle victoriously? How did he? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 is pretty clear, and I want you guys just to, just to bear with me just for a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 4 says this, The weapons we fight with are not weapons of this world. Actually, on the contrary, they are God-powered weapons used to demolish strongholds. Lies, attitudes, beliefs that are only fed by one. And who is that? Jesus did not show up on earth. Jesus did not show up on earth to demolish people. Can I say that one more time? Please don't miss that. Jesus did not show up on earth to demolish people. 
I need to say it one more time because you guys are completely lost. Look at me, please. Jesus did not come to demolish people. He came to demolish darkness. He came to demolish evil. He came to bring an end to the liar's ability to destroy us. That's what he came for. Does everybody have that for a moment? So what are these God-powered, God-powered weapons? Well, Ephesians 6 is pretty clear. Verse 17, don't miss this. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Hebrews 4 says it's a blazing, powerful weapon that is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges thoughts and attitudes of the heart. This is a serious weapon, folks. The sword of the Spirit. Now, I'm going to ask each one of you quickly. Jesus died, rose again. We'll, we'll, we'll celebrate his resurrection next week together. Rose again. And through him, the reset button is hit for us as we trust. And as that happens, we are called to begin looking as he transforms us. We begin looking like who? Oh, about three people got that. We begin looking like who? Jesus. Do you know how you can tell a Christian they look like who? It's really not hard. Don't you judge. Hey, you either look like Jesus or you don't. You look like Jesus or you don't. And I'm not talking about having a beard and long hair. You look like Jesus or you don't. And we are called to look like Jesus. Guess what? Oh, boy. Did you purposely do that, Benny? <laughs> Is Harley back there, too? Harley, you don't have long hair anymore, though, do you? Yeah. Man, that would have been great. Why didn't I think of that? I could have stood you up here and said, this does not make you Jesus. And then, and then, and then, du- and then duct tape a big old heart right here and say, what's going on in there? is what reflects Jesus. That was pretty good, Benny. Thank you. Thank you. I knew I hadn't made a joke, and they were laughing. I was like, that was good. What is that sword for? Is that sword, that sword of the Spirit to be taken upon people? Come on. Is that sword of the Spirit to be taken upon people? Is that a weapon that is to be used against the person sitting next to you? Are you sure? Ephesians 6, backing up a few verses, says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. You hear me? But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Don't laugh. It's the best I could do. But you get the point. No pun intended. We have been called, this really does say sword of the Spirit, so. 
We have been called to wield the sword of the Spirit. We have been called. Guys, I want everybody to look at me real quick. Look me in the eyes. This isn't a suggestion. You have been called to take hold of the sword of the Spirit and wield it as a believer because you are looking more and more like who? Jesus. You got it? So in one hand, in every moment of every day, we should be living with what in our hand? Sword of the Spirit. (laughs) But here's what's interesting. The sword of the Spirit is not supposed to be used down here. What's it used for? The spiritual realm. What's the authority over with this sword? The authority is over the darkness, over Satan, over all that he attempts to do. Now, how many people have been in situations where people try to use this sword to knock people into place? I love Ephesians says, speak the truth in love. I know a lot of people that speak the truth, but I don't hear a whole lot of love coming out of it. So we wield this sword on people, and you know what this sword does? Let's be honest. What what does a sword do according to Hebrews 4? It dismembers. Yeah, it hurts, and not only does it hurt, it dismembers. It destroys. It cuts apart. Why do you think the church's gatherings are more susceptible to division in this nation and in this world than any other gathering? Because Christians know better, they know the truth, but then they wield it without love and destroy each other. Then we look at the sinner down the road who doesn't know Jesus, and guess what we do? We wield the spear of the sword. But somehow some of us think that we need to speak that truth. They need to know they're in sin. Yeah, but my word says it's the Holy Spirit that brings conviction, not you. This sword, I'm going to use you for a second, a couple weeks ago. She shared about having a nightmare, and you stood up, and you, and you got out of bed, and you said, in Jesus' name, Satan, you have no authority over me. Woo! Guess what she wielded? For if he is for me, who can be against me? Amen? Hey, we're going to take, we can do that. We've got the authority, don't we? Yes! Oh, man, I've heard people intercede in amazing ways, and submit yourself therefore to the Lord, rebuke the devil, and he will. Now, how many people spend their lives not even holding on to this sword? Oh, I believe in Jesus. I know he's good. (laughs) I love this one. How you doing? I'm making it. Hey, brother, how you doing? About as good as I can do. I'm guilty of it, too. But I'm going to ask you something. What is that reflecting? Defeat. We haven't just been suggested. We have been commanded to what? Take up the sword of the Spirit. Amen? Because we have the victory. Who in this house has victory in the spiritual realm? 
Come on, you do, right here. But I'm going to tell you what, you better use the right weapon in the right realm, in the right place. This weapon is not for earthly relationships. There's another weapon that's been given to us. And it's another weapon that, along with the sword of the Spirit, we should be walking daily, hourly, every moment with both of these weapons in our hands. One dealing with the spiritual kingdom, one dealing with one another. What is that other weapon? I'm going to ask you if you could very quickly turn to John chapter 13. What is this other weapon that we've been given? John chapter 13. We were cleaning my office out yesterday. If anyone wants to be amazed, just walk by my door today. There is carpet in the place. Came across a book I've had for 20 years. And in it was dealing with a particular subject. And it has completely, I, I, I just read through it. I, I, I'm good at speed reading. Just left me astounded. I'm like, how did I miss this? Let's read John chapter 13. Verse 2, the evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Boy, I like that. Jesus knew. Everybody say, Jesus knew. That the Father had done what? Put all things under his power. And as he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took out off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Boy, Peter's really good at telling Jesus what to do, isn't he? Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Okay, enough said. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus said, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you, because he knew who was going to betray him. Does everybody know what this is right here? It's a towel. Every hour, every day, every minute, we need to have the sword of the Spirit in one hand and a towel in the other. Because I want you to understand something. When I come to a brother or sister or I come to a sinner, I'm talking about an unbeliever, and I come to them, and I humble myself before them because I want them to know their value in God's eyes. I want them to know that I am more interested in gathering them 
towards us than doing this. When I humble myself and I kneel before them with a pan of water, wrapping this towel around, and I wash one of the most, and let's be honest, in this culture, in many cultures, feet are the most repulsive thing symbolically. And I wash their feet. Who are they seeing? How many remember the story of the thief on the cross next to Jesus? And he says, he says two words, remember me. Anybody remember that? Remember me. Remember me. And what does Jesus say? Today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus didn't say, hanging on that cross, you know you were a sinner. Yeah, you know you screwed up all those other times and you did all that stuff. Yeah. Now Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Because he knew that man already knew he was wrong. And he already knew that that man was on the cross knowing that Jesus was innocent and was being hung on there for no crime he had committed. He knew Jesus was serving him above his own needs. He knew Jesus was serving him. Jesus says, all right, the man says, remember me. Now, can I ask you guys a quick question? I don't want to get all sticky here, but I I really want you to hear it. What does it mean to remember? Well, we say, well, not forget. Sure, but I want you to dig in a little bit. What does a sword do if I take you here to Amanda and start whacking? As, 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 as maybe as rough as it sounds, I could very, very easily dismember her, couldn't I? Cut her apart, couldn't I? With the sword. But what did the thief ask? Remember me. Remember me. Pull me back together here. You know what the biblical term is? Graft me back in. Anybody know anything about horticulture? You can take one plant and graft it into another plant, and it will actually take root and grow out of the plant. What did Jesus say? I am the, you are the branches, I am the what? You know what that thief was saying? Graft me into you, Lord. I've been dismembered from you. Remember me into you. Do you know what happens when I bow bow myself down and humble myself and I wash someone's feet and I serve them because I want them to know they are worth remembering? Oh, I'm, I'm going to say that one more time. When was the last time you served someone in such a way that you told them they were worth remembering? Who's hearing what I'm saying? You know, we do this foot washing thing once a year. <laughs> I have to sit back and I say, yeah, it's symbolic when we do it in there, but I'm going to tell you what, I don't know why we act like foot washing is such a great 
It is the greatest thing I could ever do for a human being here is remember them. When I serve someone in the name of Jesus, now follow me. I serve someone in the name of Jesus. Does it repel or does it draw? It draws. It gathers in. At which point? I love the babies. I really do, guys. I love them. Woo! Love them. I gather them in as I'm serving them because I want them to know they're worth remembering. And as I get to know them, I see what it is that the enemy has been lying to them about. And I see the brokenness within them. At which point, I break out the sword of the Spirit. And I begin ministering in the spiritual realm over this individual that I have just served. The moment we use God's Word to annihilate someone else is the moment you have gotten it all wrong. Now, as foolish as it would sound, as if serving is somehow going to circumvent Satan, no, how do you deal with Satan? How do you deal with Satan? Sword of the Spirit, Word of God. How do you deal with people? With this, you serve them. You remember them. So while I'm remembering an individual, I'm then able to dismember all the darkness and all the garbage and all the lies and all the sin that has so kept them in bondage that we may see them truly come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and we see them set free and be all that they've been called to be. Who wants to see that in people's lives? Oh, but I'm too busy to serve people. Well, then you're in a bad place. Now, I need to touch in on one thing here real quick. Folks, If I live my life with just the towel and no sword, am I going to do anybody any good? No, I'm going to make a lot of people feel good but never get to the heart of the issue. You follow me? Did you hear what I just said? Can I live by the sword alone without the towel? No, because what I'm going to end up doing is is doing, uh, doing this in the spiritual realms, which is fine, but I'm never connecting with anybody to pour into them and minister to them. What do I need to be carrying around at all times? The towel and the sword. These are my life's weapons. So when we gather here tonight, and I am challenging every one of you, if you've never been here before, I don't listen to the enemy that says it's raining. I could really take a nap. And you say, oh, I'll just take an hour nap. And then the alarm goes off, and it's like, well, Jesus understands. I am being facetious, but guys, step beyond yourself for a moment. Come be a part of. Has anybody realized that Satan wants to isolate you from everybody else? Have we not seen that yet? Have we not seen where it says in Hebrews 10.25, forsake, don't stop getting together. Why? Because the day's coming. We're in the last days. You need each other. You need each other. Oh, look at your neighbor and make sure they know that. I need you. And then look at them again and say, and you need me. Don't isolate. It's exactly what Satan wants to do. 
Do you know what this does? And then we can do battle over what's happening. One quick example. <laughs> Remember good old Peter? I should never mess with Peter because he did a whole heck of a lot more in faith than I ever have. I can walk it. I'm going to grow in that, but I always have to remind people, oh, Peter sunk. Well, he was the only one out on the water. Everybody else was huddled in the boat. When Peter said, no, I'm not going to let you go to Jerusalem. No, I'll never let anybody die. Isn't it interesting how Jesus turned around and looked at him, and he didn't say, Peter, shut up. Did he say that? In fact, he didn't even talk to Peter. He wielded the sword and dealt with the heart of the issue. Satan, get behind me. Oh, he didn't even deal with Peter. He dealt with the big old fat liar that was telling Peter to lie. Believe a lie. You know what I'm saying? So when Cherie's doing her flipping thing, that was pretty good, wasn't it? The only thing I'm sad about is Casey's not here. He'll hear about it. Now, if she's doing her thing, and she does something maybe even that could be offending me, you know what? If I'm in Christ, I can't be offended. Oh, people hate that when I say that. I hate it when I say that. But if I'm truly in Christ and my attitude is one of, wow, I'm a son of God. Then what you got to say to me? You're not really attacking me. You're just responding to the lies that are going on in you. If I'm living Jesus. I mean, the Word says how many times, blessed are those who are persecuted for my name. Right? It's going to come. My job is not to avoid that happening. My job is to say, hey, let me humble myself before you. I want you to know you are worth remembering. I want to pour into you. And we're going to deal with this garbage together. Anybody hearing this today? So when we gather tonight, we're going to have what's called the love feast, the agape feast. You know what that really is? That's gathering together saying, hey, I want to serve you because you're worth remembering. And I want you to know that you are a part of me. I'm a part of you because we are a part of Jesus. And for those that don't know Jesus, you're worth remembering. So much so that Jesus made a way because he's the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through him. But praise be to God, whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Come on, who's hearing that right now? So I, it's worth it to me. I must put your needs above, according to Philippians 2, my own. Not because it's the nice thing to do but because it draws you to, the, to Jesus. And then the work can be done. Amen? Amen. Lord, I just want to thank you right now for the two weapons you've given us. I'm realizing after this, you can't serve enough, Lord, if we're serving in the spirit that you called us to serve in. That's one of love, of grace, of mercy, just like you've done for, for us, Lord.
But Lord, I don't ever want to walk without that sword of the Spirit either then, Lord, because then I can go to battle on behalf of those that you are gathering and drawing. So Lord, I just want to thank you for every person here right now. I want to thank you, Lord, that you are ministering to them, that Lord God, you've called them. You've granted them authority to take hold of that sword and take hold of that towel and live this life like Jesus. Lord, you are good and greatly to be praised. And I thank you for what you did on that Palm Sunday 2,000 years ago before you ever knew it was going to be called Palm Sunday May. I don't know. But Lord, as you rode in, you rode in on a symbol of peace. The symbols of peace were being waved all around because, Lord Jesus, you did not come in to conquer. You came to gather. You came to serve. And then on that cross... On that cross, the sword of the Spirit was wielded like never before, and the enemy was vanquished in Jesus' name. Lord, we give you praise, and we give you honor that we get to look like you. You know, i got to ask you this. Anybody happy you get to look like Jesus? Stop sitting around going, oh, there's no way. You know what? The more you surrender, the more you let him change you, the more he transforms you, the more you look like him. And you can stop being so upset about what you're not and start declaring what you are in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Every person here worth remembering to the body of Christ. Lord, you're so good and you're greatly to be praised. Hallelujah, praise the Lamb. Let's just stand together. Oh, hallelujah. Yeah, praise the Lamb. My heart sings His praise again. Oh, hallelujah, praise the Lamb. Lord, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.